You're listening to a C3 Victory podcast. To find out more, visit us online at c3victory.org.au. Last week, we, um, we kicked off a new series, and I thought Pastor Simo did an awesome job. He's not here this morning, but you can congratulate him on his behalf. I'll tell him that that was the loudest applause that uh, you guys gave all morning. And um, no, I won't, because that'd be a lie. And, you know, I'm a pastor, so we don't do those things. That was a joke, guys. It's all right. <laughs> but we want to continue our, our little study in Proverbs 3. You know, sometimes um, as a church, we take a broad picture look at a lot of scriptures. Uh, we preach on a particular topic. And then at other times, we want to zoom right in um, and, and focus just on one aspect of scripture. Um, I, I love it. There's so much that can come out of such a small thing. Uh, We're concentrating on one chapter for three weeks. Um, And I can tell you right now, I reckon I could have preached a whole message just on two verses. Uh, As we see how we go, I might just just cut out the rest. And um, I think, Pastor Keith, are you preaching next week? Ah, okay. Oh, well, you can can just pick up all the rest. That's all right. You can can cover the the other 20. But... um, We want to get into Proverbs 3 this morning, and um, we want to kick off at verse 11. Uh, If you've been reading Proverbs 3 this week, what you would notice is that uh, this chapter in particular is broken up into three really nice, distinct sections. Each of them are begun with this this address to a child, my son or my child, um, where where, uh, there's this this, um, bringing into... Uh, moments of uh, direction, moments of sharing, like, like a father would gather their son um, and go, hey, my son, let's, let's talk about life for a moment. Uh, and so what we've done is we've allocated each of those sections to one, one of these weeks. Uh, and so this week, we're going to look at verses 11 right through to 20. All right. Uh, so Proverbs 3, 11 to 20, and I'm, I'm going to read from the New Living Translation this morning. Uh, but if you don't have a Bible with you, it's going to be on the screen and you can follow along. Says my child, don't ignore it when the Lord disciplines you, and don't be discouraged when he corrects you. For the Lord corrects those he loves, just as a father corrects a child in whom he delights. I can see why Simo stopped before this verse. Happy is the person who finds wisdom and gains understanding. For the profit of wisdom is better than silver, and her wages are better than gold. Wisdom is more precious than rubies. Nothing you desire can compare with her. She offers you life in her right hand and riches and honour in her left. She will guide you down delightful paths. All her ways are satisfying. Wisdom is a tree of life to those who embrace her. Happy are those who hold her tightly. By wisdom, the Lord founded the earth. By understanding, He established the heavens. And by His knowledge, the deep foundations of the earth burst forth and the clouds poured down rain. Uh, Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank You for Your Word. I thank You that it's so deep. I thank You that it is infinitely relevant to our lives, Father. Lord, I thank You this morning. Uh, You want to guide us, that You want to shape us, You want to nudge us, Lord, that You want to speak right into our life this morning. And so, Father, I pray that You would have Your way, that of the words that I've prepared, Lord, the ones, God, that are not of You, let them fall out of my mind and let the ones that are of You spring up out of my spirit and that You would speak this morning. In the name of Jesus. Lord, we pray for our Northwest campus right now as they're kicking things off. God, we pray for for powerful, uh, tangible encounters with you. 
Uh, Lord, we pray that you would change lives in that place. Uh, and Lord, as preseason draws to a close, we lift up the Jets. We pray it would be their season this season. In Jesus' mighty name. And everyone who believes said, Amen. Amen. Come on. So as you know, this series is called Life Hack. And uh, last week, Pastor Simo did an awesome job of kind of unpacking what that term means. Uh, this idea of finding some aspect of life, a different way of doing it, which, which essentially enables you to, to gain almost like a back door to, to success. Um, and so I thought that I would show you um, one aspect or one life hack. And so um, as Pastor Keith said, I did lots and lots of research and preparation for uh, four of those hours, which were spent on YouTube looking at life hacks. Um, I didn't find any worth showing you, which I was really disappointed about. Um, but I do, I do have, I do have uh, my favourite packet of chips, salt and vinegar, crinkle cut. Hang on, represent. All right, come on. And I wanted to show you a life hack just to, just to illustrate um, something uh, that, you know, we, we would consider to be a life hack. It's a very simple way of doing something. Many of you probably know this. It's the infamous chip packet bowl, right? For those of you who ever been to an occasion, you know, you bring your chips, but you didn't bring the bowl and all the bowls have used. Did you realise that, that the chip packet comes with its own bowl? I don't know if you realise this, but it's, it's, this changed my life about three or four years ago when I realised that I didn't have to dirty another bowl and therefore add to the washing up, you know, post-party. I can, in fact, utilise the built-in bowl that a chip packet is. So I'm going to demonstrate to you right now a little simple life hack. You open the chip packet. I'm hoping that the aroma, you know, spreads. So I don't have my doTERRA up here today, so we're going to spread a different aroma for those of you who were here a few weeks ago and we, we talked about aroma. But, but we open the chip packet and then, and then it's a simple, and this is the thing with a life hack, it's, it's actually quite simple, uh, but, but comes across as quite profound. We just tuck, we just tuck the bottom, ready? Just adjust the symmetry. Look at that, life hack, right? We just, we just, we just hacked some aspect of life um, and, and got a way to success. Now, I was gonna eat these while I preached, but I thought it might not come across real well. So um, I'm gonna demonstrate to you what it looks like to resist temptation for a full 30 minutes. And um, look, I might walk on water. How's that? No, I'm not going to. All right. And so, and so Pastor Simo, right, talked about this idea of, of a life hack and, and the book of Proverbs being this, this whole collection of wisdom uh, similar to the built-in chip packet bowl, right? We got this built-in guide to a successful life, right? It's the guide to the good life, something that we would all aspire to have. Like, I want a good life. I don't know about you. I didn't sort of wake up and go, you know what? I didn't really want a good life. Um, uh, one of my goals in life is to live life well. Um, I don't know about you, but that's, that's one of mine. And, and so he talked about how this, this book of Proverbs acts very similar um, to this idea of a life hack in which we can apply some of the things that come across quite simple, little one verse phrases. Uh, and what we can do is, is when we apply them, they come across as in, incredibly profound um, and, and bring uh, absolute um, guide to, to success in life. And what he did was, 
was he unpacked this Hebrew word, and we've got it up on the screen there, that the Hebrew word that is actually used um, in, in the original text to talk about this idea of wisdom, okay? And um, there it is, those four little wedders, wedders, letters, they're wisdom letters, we call them wedders, it's great. Um, and, and so we pronounce that as hokmah. Hokmah, okay? Uh, it has a whole lot more letters than what it needs, but, um, but in Hebrew, Hokmah is, is, is this word that describes this, this ultimate life hack, this ultimate path to success, this ultimate guide to the good life. And, and he kind of went back and laid this foundation. And, and I, I really want to, I actually want to dig in a little bit into the foundation that he set to, to launch off, uh, because if I don't, we're in a dangerous position of, of taking the context of the correction of God out of context. Uh, and we need to not do that because if we do, we put ourselves in a really dangerous position. So, so this idea of hokmah, this attribute of God, right, is, is, it's actually used to create. It is, it is a part of God's character. It's an attribute of His that was present at creation. And not only did He use wisdom in the way He created, but actually we, we're able to see wisdom in the way creation functions. So wisdom has two sides. Wisdom is not just something that was. Wisdom is something that is. Wisdom is something that, that is outworked consistently and it is seen as wise or it is seen as wisdom in its outworking. Right? We don't just say, oh, I am wise. No, it's, it's seen by our life. Okay, so similarly, it's not just that wisdom was used in creation, it's that we see wisdom within creation. It's a word that is, is recognised through its function. And the thing is that, that if it's an attribute of God, it's not this impersonal application of knowledge. Wisdom is not just, well, I applied knowledge really well, therefore I am wise. No, no the reality of wisdom is that because it's an attribute of God, to, to discover wisdom, and Proverbs really clear on this, but to discover true wisdom, it begins with this, this idea of the fear of the Lord, right? Because if we are to discover an attribute of someone, we, we must first accept that that person exists. Like, let's imagine there was a Johnny in the third row and I was trying to tell you something about an attribute of Johnny's character, but there is no Johnny. So, so if we are to, to agree that wisdom is an attribute of God, uh, whether you realise it or not, you have actually already agreed that there is a God. And this is where the fear of the Lord begins, right? Because to, to believe that there is a God is to recognise that He is God. If we are to explore an attribute of Him, we must recognise first who He is. If He is God, if He is Creator, if He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, if He is the Eternal, if He is the Great I Am, and we are able to recognise and position Him as such, then we position ourselves in a place where there is reverence and awe and therefore we are able to receive wisdom as it is. Otherwise, what we do is we don't assume that wisdom being an attribute of God is something that also is and therefore is not up for discussion. Let me unpack that a little bit further. Too often, actually, let's, let's try it once, once further. We're happy often to go, you know, I believe God is real. 
and that God is, and that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Scripture tells us that. But if God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, then so are His attributes, right? So love, God is love. Love does not change because God does not change. Love is not up for discussion. Love is not up for argument as to what it is. No, it is what it is because it is a part, it is an attribute. Scripture tells us that God is love. Right, so we are not allowed therefore to go and go, well, I don't believe that that's what love is because it's the same as saying, well, I don't believe God is God. The reality of placing God as actual God is positioning ourselves out of the argument over His attributes. So, so to access wisdom, we have, to, we have to position ourselves in a place where we are no longer going to argue about what wisdom says it is. We're no longer going to argue about what it is to be wise. We're no longer going to challenge the concept that this action is wise and this action is not. No, No, because we understand that wisdom is an attribute of God, we understand that just as God is and always will be, so too is His description of wisdom is His definition of wisdom. Is, is, is he, what He has said is wise, is wise, always will be wise. And, and, and all of our discussion around that and challenge of that and argument against that is, is irrelevant because actually He's God and we're not. And so it's that positioning, that idea of the, having the fear of the Lord, the reverence that He is actually God, positions us to also see that His attribute sits at the level of His character and therefore is not up for discussion. Here's the thing about wisdom. Wisdom is not just this this attribute of God that can't be challenged. It's also a description that's used in talking about an artisan or or a designer whose quality or level of hokmah, right, is seen in what they produce. And this this is really important because, because it reminds us that wisdom is found in its outworking. And so, and so when when we're looking at how God works, how God functions, we have to remember that His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And so, and so His hokmah, His wisdom, is not just attributed to something in the past, but it is also seen in how He functions in the present. And so we understand that if He is functioning in a particular way, that too is not up for argument or discussion. Because his, the level of hokmah, the fullness of hokmah is seen in, in his outworking. It is seen in his design over the outworking of creation. It is seen in his design of the outworking of our lives because he has a plan for our lives. And we may choose not to come into alignment with it all the time. But the reality is that the ultimate outworking, the plan he has for our life is, is an outworking, the level, the fullness of wisdom and hokmah he has as the attribute of God. And so when something happens in our life, whether good or bad, we have, we have an opportunity to, to press in because God's wisdom ultimately is going to work this out. Or we have an opportunity to pull back because we fail to see that the outworking of wisdom occurs in the continual outworking, not just in, 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 the, in the pre, if you will. And so we have to approach this passage like that. Because when we approach this passage, we don't get to argue with this passage. In fact, the whole book of Proverbs, we don't get to argue with Proverbs. We don't get to go, well, that was really good wisdom back in, in, in BC. 
We don't, get to, we don't get to go, oh, well, that was fine before, you know, this was what our life looked like. Because it's not up for discussion. It's not up for challenge. As soon as, as, soon as we want to challenge wisdom, we have put ourselves on, on the same level of God and we've stepped out of the fear of the Lord. And just one last thing on the framework of wisdom before we, before we jump in. I love what Simo, Pastor Simo said last week about how actually Proverbs is not a series of promises. You can find some promises in there, but it, those Proverbs are not promises, okay? It's not, it's not a promise book. It's, it's, it's not a law book either, actually. It's not, Proverbs is not law. Proverbs is not, not ultimately prophecy. Proverbs is actually probability. This will likely happen. This will probably happen. And that, and that unsettles us because we're used to the steadfast security of God saying this will. We love a will in Scripture or we love an assurance in Scripture, but ultimately Proverbs leaves us with a probability. Do this and this should or, or this will. I know, I know when I write reports, right, at the end of semester, I am not allowed to say in my report that this will happen. Like if, you're, if, you're, if your child would spend an hour more revising content preceding the exam, their marks will improve. I'm not allowed to say that. I have to say their marks should improve. I have to leave it as a probability because I cannot guarantee. And, 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 and here's the thing, that Proverbs... If we take Proverbs by itself, we don't recognise that Proverbs is actually part of a three-part package to wisdom, then, then we don't like Proverbs because life, life isn't always working out the way Proverbs says it should, right? Proverbs, if you understand the full package of the wisdom literature, you've got Proverbs, Ecclesiastes and Job, right? They fully all together paint the full picture of what Hokmah is, is the full wisdom literature. If we just take one, Proverbs, we love Proverbs because Proverbs is all about the probability of blessing, probability of prosperity. If we do this, I'm going to end up over here and it's going to be the good life. But we all know that that's not always the case and the reality of life. And so we have to understand that Proverbs comes with baggage, right? Proverbs comes with Ecclesiastes and Proverbs comes with Job, right? I don't know if you've read those books. Yeah, if you're feeling a little glum, steer clear. But they provide the necessary flip side to Proverbs as probability. If Proverbs is probability, Ecclesiastes and Job cover the exception. And so the whole package together paints an actual really relevant picture of real life. So in that context, let's, let's jump in because we arrive at a, at a verse talking about the discipline of God. And I wanted to backtrack over what Pastor Simo said as a foundation because I wanted to highlight the fact that there is this Proverbs and then there is this, these exceptions. There is this Ecclesiastes and Job and they're necessary. Otherwise, we get, a, we get an unhealthy view of the reality of life. And this is, a, this is almost the same reason why these two verses are sat right in between the end of uh, the beginning of verse, uh, chapter three, right? Verses sort of, uh, where are we? Five through to, through to nine, which are all about blessings and prosperity and, and all of these other things. And then, and then if we read through past verse 11 and 12, we find we arrive back at all of this blessing and prosperity and goodness and, and all of this, uh, life, the whole idea of the good life the thing that we're seeking, the thing that we're reading Proverbs for, like show me the path to the good life. And smack bang in the middle, we get this, this two verses about correction and about discipline. 
And they seem out of place if we don't understand that the whole idea of wisdom is that it always has to address both sides. We always have to have the, the picture of the probability and then, and then the exceptions, if you will, all of the positives and then, and then the reality as well. And, and this is what we get here. We, we require these verses around correction and discipline to paint the full picture of the path to wisdom. This, this, this whole of chapter three is talking about discovering that there is a path, it's called wisdom. She's available to anyone who would seek her out and she's gonna guide, she's gonna show you the way to live this good life, right? But without verse 11 and 12, we, we only get some of the steps, We don't get all of the steps. We have to have 11 and 12 to get all of the steps, just like we needed Ecclesiastes and Job to get all of the picture. If we don't want any correction or discipline, we may as well get rid of half of the steps towards wisdom. Our problem is we approach discipline and correction in in, in the wrong context. This is why the Scripture starts with my child. My child. You'd hear the tone, my child, my son. For those of you who are parents in the house of children, you would know the tone. When, when, you, when you want to bring a, a general adjustment, there's a, it's always done in, in the context of a loving relationship. And, and this verse starts with my child. And so everything after it is done within the context of that relationship. Everything that is spoken about is spoken and done and outworked in that context. And so we have to, we have to get an image in our head of a, a, a beautiful, loving father leaning down like on one knee, talking to his son, guiding him in life and going, my son, don't ignore it when I need to adjust you. Don't ignore it when I need to say, hey, don't do that. Don't ignore that. Don't get discouraged when I need to go, hey, hey, come, come back this way. Come back this way. Don't get discouraged when I do that. There's actually no reason for discouragement in that. If we understand that God has our best interest at heart, if we understand just like a, a father has their child's best interest at heart, if we understand that our loving father who is good, you know, if, if as an earthly father, I would give, you know, good gifts to my son, how much more would our father in heaven, right? He is, he is so good. He's, and that's gotta be our context to hearing about correction and discipline because it's unpacked out of the goodness of God. If we don't have a relational view of God, that includes discipline, then we'll get put out by His discipline rather than benefiting from it. I wonder how many teenagers are in the house right now that don't have a relational view of their parents still that includes the necessity of discipline and correction and that you might be able to receive it knowing it's for your benefit, not for your destruction. Knowing that they're trying to set you up for a win rather than bring you down. How many people hold leadership roles in, 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 in businesses? Scripture speaks about the benefit of bringing correction out of a place of relationship, not position. Such a warning here not to ignore, not to disregard, not to get upset over correction and discipline because of the benefit that it brings. See, prior to this, we get all of this instruction on gaining wisdom Walk in this wise path. Don't forget, right? Don't forget, hold on, store up, trust in, surrender, seek. These are all the, the things we're told to do prior to this verse. 
If we do all those things, we get a long life. If we do all these things, we get prosperity. I'll sign up for that, that's awesome. But only yesterday, I'm, I'm totally reminded about my inability to do the simplest of those. Remember, right? So, so yesterday, Rachel's like, hey, Nate, like just, just uh, not in that voice, she's not, not whiny like I am. Um, I've just sat down on the couch, right? The kids are just in bed, okay, for, for nap. Addie, Addie rests, Evie's asleep. And this is like the zenith moment of a parent's day, right, of young kids. I've just laid on the couch, opened up my book. I have like literally 15 pages left to go at the end of this book. I'm like desperately trying to finish it before my holidays come to an end. I've just, I've got to, I get a pillow on that end of the couch, a pillow on this end of the couch, and my feet up, my head back, I've opened my book, and, and Rage is like, hey, Nate, would you... Doesn't mind going to Woolworths? Because Saturday, rainy, is a walk in the park at Woolworths, right? That is like everybody's dream. Can I, can I please go to Charlestown Square and drive around the car park for 15 minutes looking for a park while two people steal my park that I was definitely indicating for? Oh, it's like therapy. Um, and I, as a good husband, I'm like, Dal, Dal, of course I will go, of course. So she gives me a list, right? Like, like she gives me a list, right? Of, of what I need to get to ensure we, we're, gonna, we're gonna have a, a long life after I, I, get, I get back, right? To ensure our marriage is gonna have longevity after I get back from the shops. She gives me a list, right? Husbands always ask for a list. It's okay to say, honey, can you just text me those so that I don't forget? That's generally my line, isn't it? I didn't say that this time, I should have, um, because although I had a list, at some point in time, whilst I was at Woolworths, obviously still not really in the headspace having dealt with the car park, and thinking about what drink I might buy myself from the healthy drinks, because I'd eaten sugar all morning, so I needed a no sugar drink to balance it out, a balanced diet, right? Somehow thought I had everything on the list, and so I threw the list out. Right, and at this point, I'd already forgotten to bring the bags into Woolworths. Right, like, ah, gets me every time now. So, so I've had to purchase a bag, pack it in, all the all the stuff, thinking I've got everything. Oh, I've I've nailed this. I'm gonna go home, put my feet back up. So it's like, yes, I've still got time. Kids are still gonna be asleep. Right, like, get home. Rachel's unpacking. I've just I've just approached the couch. Just, she says, "Hey, Nate, where's the corn?" I'm like. How did I forget the corn, right? Like such a simple thing. But it reminded me how easily I forget. Yet Scripture tells us that I shouldn't forget. My child never forget the things I've taught you. But I forget all the time. I don't know about you, but I forget all the time. I constantly let go when it tells me to store up and hold on. I constantly lean on my own understanding and get it wrong. Am I the only one that does this? Even though Proverbs says, trust in the Lord with all your heart, there's at least 50% of my heart most of the time that's, that's like, are you sure, God? And so if we don't have these two verses, 11 and 12, then we're stuffed. Because in our humanness, there is no way <laughs> we can never forget, always trust with all of our heart, always lean on His understanding, seek His will in all. You, like, we just can't do that. We're human. 
And I think these verses are in here because God knows we're human. He knows that if the only path to wisdom was perfection, we'd miss it. We'd miss it every time. So he has placed alongside the, the, the requirement for perfection, he has placed alongside the blessing of correction. So that because he knows we're human and he knows we can't do it, the moment we step off the path, it's not game over. It's just an opportunity for him to go, hey, my son, let's come back. Remember the corn. Remember the corn. Okay. Without the capacity for correction, we would never arrive at the result of wisdom because we would miss it after the first step. I told you I should only preach the first two verses. Correction like this right here in the midst of these verses, correction is one of the greatest expressions of God's grace that He doesn't write us off in that moment. We're not disregarded. We're not discarded. This is the reason to not be discouraged because actually His correction is a demonstration of the depth of His love. Correction is a demonstration that there is grace. If there was no grace, there'd be no correction. There'd just be punishment. There'd just be cut off. There'd just be the result of your mistake, which is done. You're out. You're finished. You missed it. No, no, No reward. But His grace enables a space for Him to continually, consistently nudge, nudge. Hey, hey, don't do that. that oh, don't, no, that was wrong. And so next time you, you get that gentle nudge, next time you feel in your spirit that conviction where, where God's Holy Spirit is, is, is not bringing condemnation. No, He's saying, hey, hey, you're a child of God. You don't do that. You don't act like that. That temptation, that speaks to the old part of you. You're a new creation now. You in, in fact, you have a, no obligation whatsoever to do what your sinful nature desires. It's being crucified. And so this conviction rises in you, convicting you of your righteousness and nudging you back onto the path. I don't know about you, but when, when, when your young children are playing in the front yard, there's, there's a significant nudge that comes when they come near the road. The more dangerous the result, the, the sharper the correction. Don't miss that in your life, right? You might, you might be standing on the edge of a cliff that the consequence of you won't come back from in this life. And the correction of God might feel very strong, but it's because the consequence is equally as strong. Sometimes we get the gentle nudge Sometimes we need to listen to the sharp smack or the sharp rebuke because it's like, hey, if you, if you go on that road, there's a car and you won't come back from that car. But it does get better. It gets better after this. Verses 13 to 18 is a poem, actually a poem within a book of wisdom and poetry, right? It's, it's poem, it's four of them that, that unpack wisdom itself. And, uh, and I'm, I'm not going to get into this, obviously, right now, but, but it speaks right to our heart. This whole poem, 13 to 18, can I, can I encourage you to go home, read it this week? It will speak to the very heart motives that you have. It compares your desire to gain wisdom versus your, your desire to gain riches and wealth. And, and actually, it's not saying that riches and wealth are bad. It's saying that if you are seeking those for happiness, there's an issue. 
It's talking about our pursuit of happiness. How relevant is that in today's world? How, how relevant is our uh, uh, wisdom around the pursuit of happiness, the pursuit of joy, of contentment, of peace? Is that not something that all our hearts cry out for in the craziness of our life is to find what it is to walk in a life that is, that is laced with joy and happiness and peace and content, <laughs> contentment? Proverbs 13 to 18, get into it, study it. And then 19 and 20, it finishes. It says, By wisdom, the Lord founded the earth. By understanding, He established the heavens. By His knowledge, the deep foundations of the earth burst forth and clouds poured out rain. I've got, I've got a quote. Um, and this is just to prove that my study was not just YouTube. All right. I, it was from the McLaren's Exposition Commentary. And it says, there's no other way of bringing all our nature into accord with itself, ending the war between conscience and inclination, between flesh and spirit. There is no other way of bringing us into amity with all circumstances so that fortunate or adverse shall be recognised as good and nothing able to agitate us very much. Peace with ourselves, the world and God is always the consequence of wisdom. Verse 13 to 18 unpacks the struggle we all have, the battle, the, the desire for happiness, but the, the contradicting pathways. And what I love about Scripture is so rarely does it end just by unpacking the struggle. It's like unpacking the struggle is great. It's like, yes, that's exactly what goes on inside of me. Thank you for that scripture. But ultimately, we want the answer, right? We want the answer to the struggle. And I love that scripture does that like no other book, like no other writing. Scripture will unpack you as a human and then supply you with the answer. And then we land on, on verse 19 and 20 after unpacking the central battle that goes on within us all the time, right? And it, it, it lands on a recap. And the recap points back to one of the central themes of the first nine chapters of, of Proverbs. You understand, nine chapters is just the intro. You can do that when your whole book has 31 chapters. You can take nine for the intro. And one of the main themes in the whole introduction of Proverbs is this idea that wisdom is an attribute of God. And so it unpacks the struggle within us and then immediately points us to God. Immediately says, hey, you, 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 you're searching for happiness. You're searching for happiness. There's wisdom on one hand or there's riches on the other. Where are you going? What are you chasing? Hey, just remember, wisdom's from God. And if you need it, seek Him. If you need wisdom, seek God. It's His attribute. You find Him, you find it. So it unpacks this inner struggle within us and then, and then we land on the answer, which is seek God, find God, just find God. Which actually in and of itself, find God, that phrase that we love, it's bad theology. We don't find God. God always found us first because He was always first. It says that He was first before all things. So ultimately in Jesus coming to planet Earth, it was the outworking of Him finding us creating a, a pathway for us to come back to the one who'd already found us.
Thanks for joining us for the C3 Victory Podcast. We would love to see you at one of our services. To find out more, visit us online at c3victory.org.au or check us out on Facebook or Instagram.